Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor. There. He is. Right. He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers oil for the student newspaper there, the oil of Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. You ever have one of those weeks where it gets done and you sit there finding yourself going, what in the world just happened? That was Bears fans and the Bears this week. It has been a wild week, even with Thanksgiving thrown in there. It was insane this week. There was a lot going on on multiple fronts. We're going to talk about it all because this is the first chance I've had to talk about it all. Here on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM, I'm your host, Nick Schultz. It is so great to be back with you for another week. And, yeah, let's get right to this. Last week, remember, I came on here and talked about how the Ravens were shorthanded. They didn't have Lamar Jackson, didn't have Hollywood Brown, and I thought the Bears would lose. They lost, but they should have won. The way they lost, they should not have lost that game, given who the Ravens had out. There was really no excuse, but they did it. They lost last week, so no big deal, right? The Bears lose another one. They snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. We're used to this over and over again. Then Tuesday happens. Now, I've talked about my schedule for on three, where I work on the national news desk covering college football, basketball, recruiting. I'm on 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Tuesdays, okay? And when I'm on, I have sports radio on, just catching up on the news of the day and want to hear what people say. It's good background noise while I write. Following all of this as it unfolded was Absolutely crazy. I could not imagine being in the studio or being at Hallis Hall for all this. Let's walk you through everything that happened this past Tuesday. This is before Thanksgiving. The Bears were gearing up to take on the Lions on Thanksgiving. 9-11 in the morning. I went and looked at the timestamp. Patch.com, Mark Conkle, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, used to work at the Sun-Times. He reported that Matt Nagy was going to be fired after the Bears-Lions game, it was going to be on Friday. That Thursday was going to be his last game as coach of the Bears. That went crazy on Twitter. As you would expect, it went crazy on Twitter. And sports radio picked it up. He went on both stations in town, 670 the score, ESPN 1000. And he talked about this report because that's Mark Conkle is not a sports reporter. And for him to get this at Patch, it was crazy. So it was out of nowhere. No word from Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport or any of the big national names, Jay Glazer. No word from the Bears either, by the way. So that happened... 9, 10 in the morning. Now, the kicker with all of this, with the timing of this report, Matt Nagy was supposed to meet the media at noon on Tuesday. So this comes out three hours before he's supposed to have a press conference. The Bears did not say a word. They still have hardly said a word publicly about this. The funniest part of this, now Nagy's supposed to speak at noon. 
Chris Tabor, the special teams coordinator who filled in for Nagy as acting head coach when Nagy had COVID-19, he spoke first at 10.50. Now, I don't know what's crazier about this. The fact that you don't comment on this report before you have guys thrown to the media, or if you have the special teams coordinator speak first, because that's how the schedule is on Tuesdays. They have a set schedule for who meets the media when. Chris Tabor always leads off. Of all days, to stick with that, you chose Tuesday. So Chris Tabor was thrown to the wolves, and he, I mean, I feel bad for the guy because he was getting asked about his boss's job instead of the game against Detroit coming up two days later. And he didn't know about the report. He said, Matt Nagy's still our coach. I'll do anything for that guy. I love the guy. Nothing out of the ordinary. So the day is going on. Chris Tabor had spoken, and we're waiting to see if Matt Nagy's going to take the podium, and then he does. Still, no word from the Bears. Nagy goes out, and it's deny, deny, deny. He hadn't met with George and Ted. That was scheduled, he said, whatever that's supposed to mean. And he kept getting asked about his job status, whether he was going to be fired, and I mean... They had a game in two days, and he was getting asked about his job status. Press conference went on, nothing nothing mind-blowing. Matt Nagy was still the coach. Tuesday night, Brad Biggs of the Chicago Tribune reports that Nagy canceled all the meetings for Tuesday afternoon and Tuesday night, virtual in person. So now it seems like something's up because he canceled all the meetings. On Friday... And his, not post-game, but day-after-game availability, he said that was scheduled because it was a short week. And it's nothing out of the ordinary. All right, okay. That's one way to spin it, I guess. But Brad Biggs is as dialed in as anybody on that beat. He might be the most dialed-in guy on the Bears beat. So that came out Tuesday night. Then on Wednesday... This got even better because Hub Arkish, who's probably second most dialed in on the Bears beat to Brad Biggs, he reported on 670 The Score and then wrote about it in Shaw Local that it was not Matt Nagy who decided to start Justin Fields. It was George McCaskey. George McCaskey told Matt Nagy to start Justin Fields, and that's why all of a sudden Nagy flipped. Nagy said Friday, that couldn't be furthest from the truth. Thursday, Bears go into Detroit. Detroit has not won a game this year. Now, they have not lost all their games this year because they tied against Pittsburgh, but they have not won a game this year. The Lions take the lead. Now, keep in mind, before this game, Justin Fields cracked his ribs. The Bears confirmed he has cracked ribs. So it was Andy Dalton's show. The Lions take the lead in the second half. Luckily, Cairo Santos can make a field goal. Bears won at the last second on a field goal against Detroit. The Lions have seen this movie before, but this was not a what did Justin Tucker make, 67-yarder. This was a little chip shot. So it seems like now... Nagy's job is saved. At least for now. Now let's dive into all of this. I presented all the facts. That's, that's what happened this week. That was one, that wasn't even one week. That was three days in Bears Land. I can only imagine how it was being in that press conference at Hallis Hall. Because I was sitting at home listening to it on the radio. I can only imagine being in the room. But this just shows, I mean, surprise, surprise, I'm going to tell you something you didn't know. The Bears are a poorly run organization. And that was evidence this week, because that was... I know people don't usually like when journalists talk about something from a journalistic standpoint, or when... People in communications talk about something from a PR standpoint. I know you want to hear 
Like, okay, when are they going to fire Nagy? When are they going to fire Nagy? The biggest takeaway from this week is that the Bears are not prepared to handle something like this. When something breaks like that, when you have someone, a well-established reporter, this is not some guy who decided to say, hey, I got a call from a guy who knows a guy who knows his limo driver who drives Ryan Pace's brother around that says Matt Nagy's going to be fired. No, this is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and Mark Conkle. When you have a guy of that stature who does not cover sports, I feel like you have to get out in front of that. Now, I know it opens up a can of worms. You can't put out a statement for every crazy rumor. But I say again, this is not some fan with sources. This is not some Bears fan out there saying, oh, I hear Matt Nagy's going to be fired. Oh, who's your source? I don't know. They threw Chris Tabor out there without a net. They threw Matt Nagy out there without any support. And then Ryan Pace goes on for his weekly hit with, I think it's Josh Liss on WBBM before the Bears game. It's the only time we really hear Ryan Pace talk, and I want to say the Bears run the show or something. I don't know. There's an arrangement with the Bears. And he denied the report. And apparently George McCaskey was the one that finally told the team on Wednesday as they were getting ready to go to Detroit that Matt Nagy was not getting fired. What a mess. And I mean, that was three days. Tuesday was report frenzy with Nagy's going to be fired on Friday. Nagy canceled all meetings on Tuesday. Wednesday, George told Matt to start Justin Fields. To me, that wasn't even the biggest news of the story. The biggest news was George is getting involved with football operations. And then Thursday, you almost lose to Detroit. I'll be honest with you, after that game, it felt like a loss. But man, that was quite a week for the Bears. But the consensus seems to be that after the season, Matt Nagy is going to be gone. Now, you're probably asking, why don't they just fire him now? If you're asking that question, you do not know the McCaskies. They do not fire anybody midseason. They never have. Now, the caveat with that is their coach for a while was some guy named George Hallis, who literally founded the team. So there's a little bit of a caveat there. But in the Super Bowl era, we'll say, they have not fired a coach mid-year. Not Trustman, not Fox, not Dick Jaron, not Ditka. Doesn't seem like they're going to fire Nagy mid-year. But the consensus seems to be, and I read this from Jason Locke and Forrest said it today, there is something out here. Jay Glazer talked about Matt Nagy on Fox today. I have not heard this yet, so I'm not going to play it. But I'm sure he's got some intel, but growing consensus seems to be that Ryan Pace and, or I guess I should say Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are both gone. They're going to start fresh. So the question now comes up, who should replace him if, well, if, when the Bears fire Matt Nagy? I'm going to make this real easy. I have one name. There is one guy I want coaching this team. If he says no, then I'd get a list together. But there is one guy that I want. Now, the reason that I'm not sure this is going to happen, it's a little outside the box. If there's one thing to know about the McCaskies and Ted Phillips, they don't usually like to go outside the box. But things are a little different now. You have a quarterback who has the potential to be a franchise quarterback. Now, I know the numbers aren't ideal. The numbers aren't great. But if you watch Justin Fields play football, you see the potential with the way he uses his legs, the throws he can make. 
Wait a minute. Justin Fields. Where'd he go to college? Oh, right. He went to Ohio State. Wait, who's the coach at Ohio State? The guy I want coaching the Bears next year. I would call Ryan Day immediately. Or at least as soon as you can. That's who I want coaching this team. Now, again, it's outside the box. You have a guy who's been successful at college. As we know, college and the NFL are very different. Just ask Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is learning that right now. Nick Saban learned that, and he said he wasn't going to Alabama. All of a sudden, he's at Alabama, and he's rattling off one of the greatest stretches, if not the greatest stretch in college football history. Can Ryan Day handle it? the transition to the NFL? I think so. Matt Rule did it. He's in Carolina. I think he's doing okay for a college coach going to the NFL. I would call Ryan Day immediately. And the big thing is, because the big thing with this coaching hire, with this coaching hire and general manager hire, if you get rid of both, which they should, if you get rid of both, your focus has to be Justin Fields. The last time they did this, the focus had to be Mitchell Trubisky, and we see how that worked out. Problem is, Trubisky and Fields are very different players. Because Fields performed at the highest level in the biggest games, and his coach was Ryan Day. Even outside of Fields, like, okay, yeah, he had success with Justin Fields. What else has he done? Well, he's got two true freshmen this year that are national names. C.J. Stroud is in the top two, probably, for the Heisman Trophy race. Trevion Henderson was not supposed to play this year. They weren't sure he was going to play this year. He played. He just broke Ohio State's single-season touchdown record from scrimmage for a freshman. He has developed Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson into two of the best receivers in college football, and they are going to go in the first round of the NFL draft next year, this year, whatever you want to put it. Now, I know he lost to Michigan yesterday, which I'm going to talk about that in a bit because that's another coach I'm not sure I want to have in Chicago. But looking at what Ryan Day has done at Ohio State, Imagine what he can do in the NFL where he doesn't have to recruit. He'll have his guys. He can have say on, okay, he's got Justin Fields at quarterback. What weapons can we put around him? How can we build the offense around him? That's what Matt Nagy has not done, which is why when Hub reported that George told Matt to start Justin, that I sat there going, now it makes sense, because Justin Fields got hurt against the Ravens. And what do they run when Andy Dalton comes in? First play, play action pass. Second play, screen to Darnell Mooney, 60 yards for a touchdown. What has he refused to run with Justin Fields? Play actions and screens. What did he do when Andy Dalton came in to save the day? He ran a play action and he ran a screen. And they scored a touchdown. If you bring in a guy like Ryan Day who has worked with Justin Fields in the past and had very good success with Justin Fields in the past, he can build the offense around him and hopefully, and I think he'd have a good chance to do it, turn him into the franchise quarterback the Bears have never had. Maybe I'm out of line. Maybe I'm pie in the sky. Maybe he wouldn't take it. But you've got to call him. And if it's me running the coaching search, and I don't know if it'll be Ryan Pace, if it'll be someone else, I hope it's someone else. My first phone call goes to Columbus. Supposedly, some rumors going around that money will not be an issue for the next Bears head coach. I read that at Sports, I think at Sports Mockery, Eric Lambert. Now, I'm not sure how reputable that is going forward. But if money's not an issue, call Ryan Day and say, hey, want to come to Chicago? 
You don't have to do anything with the winters. You don't have to pitch anything with the winters because it's cold in Columbus too. He's got a quarterback that he's worked with and done very, very well with. He is my number one choice. If he says no, you got to get a list together. Here's Daryl Horwitz, former host of the show from Charlotte, chiming in on my DMs, which if you want to chime in on the conversation because I can't take calls, shoot me a tweet on Twitter at Nick Schultz underscore seven or slide into my DMs or just hit me up on whatever social media you have me on. Uh, Daryl chimes in, when word gets out, it can affect a decision. Seattle was going to trade Sean Kemp for Pippen, but the word got out in Seattle and the response was negative and the deal never happened. Saying Nagy would be fired win or lose sounded off. Would have made more sense if the report said he would be fired if they lost to Detroit. Well, that leads me to believe, and again, I think given the nature of the reporter who broke this story, Pulitzer Prize winner, that is not, that's a big deal. I think he had a source, but it makes me wonder, It was something off? Did the source have the information wrong? Did, did Mark, get it wrong or did he was it off a little bit did they plan it or here's another theory i heard thrown around because apparently people are putting on their tinfoil hats which mine's fitting great by the way did the bears plan to fire Nagy on friday and then this report got out and they said uh we're not going to do that anymore and is that why the bears did not release a statement saying matt is our coach do you know the only way we found out george mccaskey addressed the team was because dan pompey reported it and then other beat reporters got it as well. Still no word from George McCaskey. Still no word from Ted Phillips. The only word we've heard from Ryan Pace was on the pregame show on BBM. Because that's the only time we hear him as he goes back into his bunker during the season. And we never hear from him until the end of the year press conference. So, going back to your point here, Daryl. Yes, I think the report did affect a decision, whether it was a decision to maybe fire him after a loss or fire him at all on Friday. I'm not sure. Jason Lockenfora at CBS put a report out just this morning. Headline coaching change can very or coaching change very likely in Chicago as Bears continue to struggle in fourth season under Matt Nagy. And he writes in here, There have been internal discussions within that organization dating back at least a year, and Nagy was aware of the expectations for significant improvement this season. The Bears are 4-7, and seven, just snapping a five-game losing streak on Thursday, and facing the Cardinals, Packers, and Vikings the next three weeks. Teams that are a combined 22-10. and 10. General Manager Ryan Pace's job is in the balance as well after repeated quarterback acquisitions who have failed and with Fields' rookie campaign off to a bit of a tough start and with him currently injured. That's because his coach did not tailor the offense to him, but I digress. If they make a move, this is from Jason Lockenfora, who is a reputable reporter at CBS, the Bears are expected to consider Tampa offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, New England offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, and Buffalo offensive coordinator Brian Dable, among others, and it has been well known throughout the industry for years how high Bears ownership is on Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald, whom numerous and numerous NFL teams have pursued in recent years. However, sources said that Fitzgerald, who recently signed a big extension to remain at the school he also played for, would not be interested in a jump to the Bears. Let's dissect that a little bit. Fitz isn't leaving Northwestern. I'm just plain and simple. That, that guy is not leaving Northwestern, especially after the season they had this year. Whew. Wouldn't be surprised if they're looking for a new defensive coordinator again. But these names, Byron Leftwich, Josh McDaniels, Brian Dable. Well, I can tell you, my first reaction when I read these was I want nothing to do with Josh McDaniels. Look, I know he's one of the best offensive coordinators in the game. I understand that. I see what Mac Jones is doing in New England. I'm watching Sunday NFL Countdown. They can't get enough of Mac Jones in New England. I get it. And understandably so. If you remember, I sat here in this very chair and said, 
I want Mac Jones if Justin Fields isn't available. Well, they got the guy I wanted. I didn't think Justin Fields would be available. But my second choice was Mac Jones, and everyone thought I was nuts. Look at what he's doing in New England. Yes, Josh McDaniels is doing a very good job with a rookie quarterback. That said, I'm old enough to remember when Josh McDaniels accepted the head coaching job in Indianapolis and all of a sudden backed out of it at the last minute to go back to New England. He didn't do a very good job the first time as a head coach in Denver. And then that happened in Indy, where he had it and then backed out to go back to Belichick, who did the same thing. No, I don't want Josh McDaniels. I mean, I, I feel like, okay, let me amend that. You have to call him. I feel like, I mean, if he's, if you're looking for a coach, you've got to call him. But I don't, I don't want him as a fan. That's a lot of baggage. So you're left with Byron Leftwich and Brian Dable. Now, Brian Dable's name has been thrown around a lot. It's, he's been linked to this Bears opening for a while now. I think he'd be good. You've seen what he's done with Josh Allen in Buffalo. I think he'd be a good choice. Byron Leftwich is another one. He's working with... <sighs> all right. I guess I'll just throw it out there. He's working with the greatest of all time in Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Kills me to say, but I, yeah, he's Tom Brady's the GOAT. Fine, I'll say it. He's working with the GOAT in Tampa Bay. Maybe he can take that experience, what he's, what he's learned from Tom Brady, and pass that on to Justin Fields. Because what do all of these names have in common? Let me read the sentence again. If they make a move, the Bears are expected to consider Tampa offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, New England offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, and Buffalo offensive coordinator Brian Dable. Now we know the last coach who the Bears hired that was an offensive coordinator has not done a pretty good job. I understand that. But if I was to go even, let's go back to when Matt Nagy was hired. If I was to give you one of these names versus Matt Nagy, and I had to ask you, which one would you rather have as your head coach? I'd probably take the guys with more experience. So those are some names that are already connected to the Bears, even though they have not gotten rid of Nagy yet. And Jonah Blatt, who's the resident Lions fan, which, yeah, sorry, not sorry about Thanksgiving, Jonah. Uh, he says Josh McDaniels would be a disaster. Yes, he would. I say again, there's a lot of baggage there. I do think you have to call him because he's an offensive mind. You, you have to call him. But the, uh, unless he shows that he's ready to be his own man and ready to take on his own team again. I want nothing to do with him. And he's got to <laughs> he's gonna have to prove that if the Bears were to do this, and I don't think they will, but if they were to do this and he goes in the press conference, he's got he's going to have to sell it to the fans. Because it would take me a while to buy in, that's for sure. It's not even December, and we're talking about a potential coaching search because it feels inevitable, doesn't it? I mean, they're talking about it on the broadcasts. This feels inevitable. You've got the national reporters out here. Based, they're not saying it, but they're saying that Nagy's gone at the end of the year. This is just weird. But I, you know my guy. My guy is in Columbus. He's not in Ann Arbor. And I'll tell you why as soon as I let you know you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. I'm coming to you from beautiful, scenic, historic Dwight, Illinois, down I-55. If you want to chime in on the conversation, 
Shoot me a tweet or a DM on Twitter at NickSchultz underscore seven. My DMs are open. I have my Twitter open. I will read and any I see fit, but usually I end up reading them all, which is why I'm going to go back to one that Jonah Blatt sent me earlier that says Jim Harbaugh question mark. I know Jim Harbaugh was a good NFL coach. I know what he did in San Francisco. I know what he did with Colin Kaepernick. I don't want him coaching the Bears. Because there's a well, there's a couple reasons why. Number one, it took him all this time to finally beat Ohio State. Because Michigan beat Ohio State 42-27 yesterday. Jim Harbaugh is now a whopping 1-5 against the Buckeyes. And you're probably wondering, well, what does beating Ohio State have to do with coaching the Bears? Well, if you didn't know... And we've heard these comparisons all year because of who the quarterback is for the Bears. Michigan is to Ohio State as the Green Bay Packers are to the Bears. And I should say Ohio State is to Michigan, but the reason I flipped that is because the Bears quarterback played at Ohio State. And when the Bear when Bears reporters asked Justin Fields about playing the Packers and calling them the Ohio State of this rivalry because Ohio State had won every game for the last 10 10 years. They compared the rivalries. So if Jim Harbaugh has taken this long to beat Ohio State, what makes, tell me why I should think he can beat the Packers. Should I base the head coaching hire off of that alone? Absolutely not. But the McCaskies shouldn't either, which means they're probably going to base it off that. If there's one thing Virginia McCaskey does not like, and this is very well known considering her firing of Trustman and Lovey, she does not like losing to Green Bay. Can Jim Harbaugh beat Green Bay? I'm not sure. If he does, it'll take him six years. Now, I'm making the joke because it took him, six, well, actually seven years because he didn't play last year, seven years to beat Ohio State as a coach. And I understand his head coaching resume in the NFL. I mean, he coached in a Super Bowl against his brother, which was very cool. And as a head coach with the 49ers, now remember he was at Stanford for a while. He went 44 and 19. They made the playoffs his first three years, and their records were 13 and 3, 11 and 4, 12 and 4. Or it was 11, 4 and 1, I'm sorry. 11, 4 and 1, and 12 and 4. They played in the NFC Championship game in 2011 and 2013, and they played in the Super Bowl against the Ravens, in which Jim lost to John. So yes, he's had success in the NFL. I personally think he's a better college coach. Even though, again, can't beat Ohio State. He's done a terrific job this year. The other side of it with Harbaugh. Or as I should put it more eloquently, Chicago Bears legend Jim Harbaugh. There's a legacy there. If you bring in a guy who played for the Bears, you're opening up a can of worms. Because if things get rough, can the McCaskies fire somebody who played for them? That's a question you have to ask. Now, I understand they fired Ditka. I get that. It was a long time ago. So I don't know if I want... No, I can tell you. I don't want Jim Harbaugh. I want Ryan Day. And I'm not going to back down from it. And I'm going to come on the show and I'm going to keep saying it. Because I want Ryan Day. And I'm stubborn. So I'm going to keep saying it. And I'm going to keep speaking it into existence. Daryl Horowitz chimes back in. Not saying I want McDaniels, but Belichick failed in Cleveland before in New England. 
The other question is, McDaniel successful because of Belichick? I wouldn't go there, but it is a thought. A.J. Hinch failed in his first managerial job, but had success after, despite any shenanigans in Houston. That very well could be. Well, and I tell this story all the time. I covered Porter Moser for four years at Loyola Chicago. He wasn't very good at Illinois State. Now, he had it on the up and up, but he wasn't good. Got fired, went to St. Louis, learned from Rick Majerus at St. Louis for four years, got the job at Loyola, turned that program around, took him to a Final Four, took him to a Sweet 16, and led him to Oklahoma, where he's doing a pretty decent job. That's the nature of sports. So, yeah, I'm not saying McDaniels would not be a good head coach. I just don't like the track record of he's been... He's been at Belichick's side. He gets, he gets the opportunity, takes the opportunity to go to Indianapolis, and at the last minute, steps down, resigns, goes back to New England to the job he had. I'm just saying there's a lot of baggage there. So he very well could be a good head coach, and if he go, if he ends up taking a head coach job somewhere other than Chicago, let's say, and he does a he does a good job. Cool. Good for him. I just don't know if I want that around Justin Fields. Because that's what makes this GM head coach hire so different than any other GM head coach hire the Bears have ever made. Because remember, Ryan Pace drafted Trubisky. When Phil Emery and Mark Trustman got fired, they didn't have a franchise quarterback. When Jerry Angelo and Lovey Smith got fired, they didn't have franchise quarterbacks. Now, I don't, I don't think they were fired at the same time, but you're getting my argument here. If you're starting fresh, you have a quarterback you can build around, which is why the Bears would all of a sudden, despite all of the organizational failures of the last X amount of years, fill in that number however you want. Or, more importantly, the organizational failures of the last seven days the Bears would still be an attractive job because they have a franchise quarterback and people like to win. It's just a fact. People like to win. Would McDaniels be my choice? No. Would he have to prove to me that he's going to buy in, for lack of a better phrase, and be all in as Bears head coach after what happened in Indianapolis? Yes. Still, just make a phone call to Columbus to make me happy. I would love to keep talking football because I feel like, I mean, I've already done 38 minutes on this. I feel like I could do a whole show about the Bears and Matt Nagy and the coaching search. That's going to probably happen, but we've got to move on. Are the Bulls coming back down to earth? That is the question I am asking now because they are they have lose they have lost three of their last four games, including a game to the Houston Rockets, which the Houston Rockets have lost fifteen in a row. They were one in sixteen before facing the Bulls. They finally hit the speed bump we were all waiting for. I have said all year, I said it in the offseason, I say it again. This is a top four team in the Eastern Conference. If we look at the standings, the Bulls are team number four. And don't be surprised if Washington comes back down to earth as well. Now, I know it's only 21 games in and I'm looking at the standings. But it's a good benchmark because of how the Eastern Conference is. There's a three-way tie for ninth place, which would make the play-in tournament at 10-10. and 10. That's 500. That shows you where the Bulls are at. But they're going to hit speed bumps like this. And it doesn't help that Nikola Vucevic had COVID. He's coming off of COVID, and he's easing back in. Alex Caruso missed a game last week. It was the Pacers game when the Bulls got blown out. He missed that game because he's dealing with a, with a wrist injury. 
So he's not playing fully healthy. Zach Levine's still dealing with that thumb. Now Zach's still scoring at, you know, Zach rate. Now it's not time to panic. They're 13 and 8 through 21 games. I thought last night's game against Miami was winnable. Just a few too many mistakes, a lot of turnovers. That's one thing that they did last year that they're doing again this year. They have to keep control of the basketball. They did not do a very good job of that last night against Miami. Now, it was the second half of a back-to-back, which is tough. And that's the, in the last five games, they played two back-to-backs. Back-to-backs, backs-to-back. This last one, they were in Orlando on Friday and then went back to Chicago yesterday. So you've got to take that into account as well. Right now, looking at the upcoming schedule, it does not look like there's another back-to-back until after Christmas, which is December 26th and 27th, with the Pacers at home, the Hawks on the road. And things ease up schedule-wise, too. I mean, they've got the Hornets tomorrow, which is LaMelo versus Lonzo Ball, by the way. That's going to be fun. They go to New York, which won't necessarily be easy. They go to Brooklyn, which won't necessarily be easy. Home against the Nuggets, which if Jokic isn't playing, or if Jokic plays, that's not going to be an easy game at all. At Cleveland, at Miami, versus Detroit, at Toronto, home against the Lakers, home against the Rockets. Oh, I'm sorry, there's a back-to-back there December 19th and 20th that I read over. But both of those are at home. So the schedule is going to kind of go up and down a little bit in terms of like difficulty level. But through 21 games, I like what I see. The Bulls are fun. My parents and I were talking about this last night. The Bulls are fun, even though they lost. They're a fun team. And Stacey King is just on a roll this year. I mean, he's having more fun than anybody, I think. Between him and Chuck Swirsky, because I'll listen to the radio broadcast that the Bulls are playing during the week when I'm working. Chuck's having a really good time with this team. So 13-8 and eight through 21 games, I'm not too worried. As I said, the next game is tomorrow. Bulls have Charlotte at home. Tip-off is at 7 p.m. from the United Center. That's all I had on the Bulls. Now, we do have to talk college football, and I've talked a little bit about it already. But holy cow, what a day yesterday. Yesterday is... Top three? Is it top three greatest days on the sports calendar? It's got to be, right? Rivalry week in college football was amazing. My Notre Dame fighting Irish handled Stanford with ease. But that was not the lead story. I just wanted to acknowledge that. The big story, and I've I've already talked about it, Michigan beat Ohio State. I'm happy for my brother, who's a big Michigan fan. He does not like that team down south, as he calls it. He does not like Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh finally gets the win over the chief rivals. They rushed the field at the big house. It was very cool to see. Hassan Haskins is all I had to say about that game. Five touchdowns. Five touchdowns against Ohio State. We have to talk about Bedlam, too, because there's a reason they call that game Bedlam between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State holds on 37-33. That was crazy. You had two muff punts that turned into touchdowns. One OU ran back right away. The other one, Oklahoma State, took a couple plays because it was on like the four-yard line. That game was insane, which was a nice change of pace from last year when it was really boring. Alabama and Auburn went to four overtimes in the Iron Bowl. Alabama did not have a touchdown until about 24 seconds left. Alabama held on in four overtimes. Michigan State beat Penn State 30-27, and LSU won one for Coach O. Coach O's last game of Baton Rouge, 
LSU hung on. They came back to beat Texas A&M 27-24 in Coach O's last game. We got one last go Tigers. What a day in college football. I got to watch virtually all of it. And, you know, the Michigan game against Ohio State was, I mean, they went punch for punch, man. That was great. And obviously Michigan led most of the game. 42-27 win. They, I thought they were going to let Ohio State back into it. But that was as much of a Big Ten football game as I've seen in a while. The snow coming down at the big house. 100,000 people at the big house going crazy throughout the game. The boos coming out for Ohio State. Fans rushing the field after the game ended. And I know people were saying, why, is, why are they rushing the field? Because it's Ohio State. And that game, oh man. I was doing post-game coverage. And watching the post-game show, all of the fans outside Michigan Stadium just going crazy. It's their first win over Ohio State since Brady Hoke was there. There's a name for you. Brady Hoke was the coach the last time Michigan beat Ohio State before Jim Harbaugh finally did it yesterday. I really thought yesterday was going to be Lincoln Riley's last game at Oklahoma. Rumors are going bananas about him to LSU. Because Ed Ogeron's leaving. And he said in the post-game press conference that he's not going to be the next head coach at LSU. I'm pretty sure people tagged at Old Takes Exposed for that. We're going to keep an eye on that. I cannot believe it took Alabama until almost the end of regulation to score a touchdown. Well, it doesn't help when your top receiver gets ejected for targeting, which why? If you've got a receiver like Jamison Williams, who's one of the top receivers in the SEC. Why is he on special teams? I don't understand that. And it was a blatant targeting call. He got ejected, missed the rest of the game. Alabama's offense stalled. And then Bryce Young finally got one into the end zone. It took four overtimes. We went to, well, was it Andy Staples put it, penalty kicks. Because the new overtime rules, as we saw with Illinois and Penn State earlier this year, it goes to a two-point conversion shootout, essentially, where both teams line up and go for two until they have a winner. And it took four overtimes. Alabama came out on top. Michigan State, in the battle of two very big contracts, Mel Tucker got paid. James Franklin staying in State College in Happy Valley. It was Michigan State who got the win 30-27 to over the Nittany Lions. And that game was even more of a Big Ten game because they literally couldn't put the first down line on the field. There was so much snow. Because when there's, when there's that much snow, you cannot. It's impossible to put that first down line on the field. That's how much it was snowing. It was awesome. I'm sorry, the Land Grand Trophy Actually, I think it's Land Grant. Yeah, there it is, Land Grant Trophy. So there's that game. I'm sorry, Joan, I did not mean to cast that aside. And as I said, LSU over Texas A&M. Coach O going out a winner. He will not coach in the bowl game because LSU, with that win last night, got bowl eligible. Ed Ogeron will not coach in that bowl game. He's going out a winner. What a day, man. I mean, that was that was so it was so fun watching all those games yesterday. Let's go back to some DMs here. One on the NBA from Daryl. The East is much stronger than the West. Don't count on the Bulls as a top four team. Bulls lack of size and offensive firepower from the bench outside of Kobe White will affect them. Also, their style of play to be successful takes a lot of defensive effort that will take a toll. Think of Thibodeau teams burning out. They're better, but they're not a good playoff team. In the playoffs, the half court is more in play, and the Bulls aren't great in the half court as Lonzo doesn't like to play a typical point in the half court with the Bulls. Look, I think the East... Let me go back to the standings here. 
I think in the Eastern Conference, I'd say the top five teams, at least so far early on in the season, are better than the West. Or more competitive, I should say. They're more competitive. Because right now the Lakers would be the 8th seed in the West. They're 10-11, which yeah, the over-30 league, that is the Los Angeles Lakers. So yeah, the East is definitely more, it's a tighter race. And numbers-wise, yes, it's more competitive. And it's, it's better than the West this year. But I, I think, looking at the way this Bulls roster is constructed, I know the defensive effort and... The offense I think the Bulls are still better than Charlotte. They're they're proving to be better than the Knicks so far. They're better than Atlanta. They're way better than Cleveland. They're better than Boston. I really thought Philadelphia would be better, but they don't have Ben Simmons. No, I really do think with the way this roster is constructed, and I've said it at the beginning of the year. With how much they invested in this team this year, the sign-in trades, giving up that much, how much they're paying DeMar DeRozan, who's playing like an MVP candidate. With all of that, anything less than a top-four team is a disappointment to me. And I know what you're saying about the competitive nature of the Eastern Conference, but anything less than top four to me is a disappointment with how much they invested. Jonah Blatt chimes back in, going back to college football here. Before I talk some college hoops, I've got some Loyola thoughts coming up in just a second. But Michigan State versus Notre Dame is apparently, is that projected to be the Fiesta Bowl? If it is, that's going to be a lot of fun. Also, I did just get a text message. If if my signal isn't good today, if I'm cutting in and out, I apologize. So far, I've not heard anything like that on my end. So if we if I've been cutting in and out today, I apologize for that. I don't know what's going on. It's the first I've heard of it. So I just want to get out in front and apologize for that. All right, college basketball. I have made it this far without talking about Loyola in the battle for Atlantis. Let's talk about it to wrap up the show. Tough competition this week in Atlantis. Michigan State, Auburn, Arizona State. That Michigan State game was awesome. I really thought Loyola was going to put up a fight. They did just that. It came down to the last possession. But Loyola looked good against Michigan State. That's a tough team. That's a well-coached team in Tom Izzo, as Drew Valentine knows. What worried me about that game was, what, 13 seconds left? When Michigan State got that timeout, I had a feeling Izzo would draw up a really good play. He did just that. Jacob Hudson was matched up with was was that Gabe Brown, whoever whoever their big guy was who made that alley oop. So the point guard brought it up. They set the screen. So Hudson got switched out. So there was a size mismatch that Michigan State was able to exploit, and the alley oop dunk. Michigan State wins sixty three sixty one. That's how close Loyola was to pulling off the upset. Want to say Loyola was a three and a half point underdog in that game. So Izzo did not cover, but I digress. The Auburn game was, uh, it wasn't great, at least from a score standpoint. Now, I did not I did not watch all of that game. That was, I believe that was on Thanksgiving. Had to work on the news desk. I had family over. Did not get to watch that whole game. So the Auburn game was not, that was not how I thought it'd go. But how about, the Arizona State game. That was Loyola basketball. That's where we learned just how good Jacob Hudson can be for Loyola. He was playing with confidence. He got into a little bit of foul trouble. Was it that game or a game before? 
He started playing more aggressive. Loyola won 77-59. Big Huddy out there dropping 26 points on Arizona State. Now, that was a really good size matchup. I will say he had the size, he had the height advantage. But 26 points, nicely done, young fella. 9-13 shooting as well. Yes, he got into some foul trouble. He had four fouls. But what a performance from Jacob Hudson. And as Jonah writes in, yes, Jacob Hudson found himself in the Bahamas. And going back to that Auburn game, yes, I knew the second half wasn't good for Loyola against Auburn. And I know they had a lead against Michigan State going into halftime too, but again, it's Tom Izzo. Drew Valentine is a first-time head coach. I think he's doing a great job. In that game, you saw Drew Valentine as a first-time head coach. And it's not really so much his fault. I thought Drew I thought Drew did a good job. But you got outcoached by one of the best to ever do it. And at that point, you've got to tip your hat and move on because it, that was a beautiful play Izzo drew up out of the timeout. And Drew was trying to call a timeout after that made it, after that alley-oop. He was trying to signal, who was it inbounded? Was it Hudson inbound? He was trying to signal somebody to, in, to get a timeout, and he, he didn't get the timeout. But Tom Izzo, I mean, you got to tip your hat and move on, man, because that was beautiful. I think Loyola's in a good spot after this tournament. They went one and two. One of those losses was to Michigan State. The other was to a pretty good Auburn team. And they blew out Arizona State, which is what they needed to do. They're in a good spot. Conference play starts Wednesday, surprisingly. I know it feels early because it is. They have one conference game coming up this week against Indiana State. But that game doesn't matter because the big game coming up Saturday is DePaul at Wintrust Arena. That game will be on FS1. I wish I could go. I've been calling for this game for five years, but I can't make it. That's the game that matters this week. Briefly, because I've got a couple minutes left. Last week, I talked about Loyola to the Atlantic 10. What does it mean for the Missouri Valley? Earlier this week, and when I say earlier this week, I mean like a few days ago. Wyatt Wheeler of the Springfield News Leader, who, good friend of mine, we go back and forth on Twitter, I promise, we really do like each other. He reported, and I want to make sure I get this right. So when I, when I talked about Loyola leaving, how the Missouri Valley would go about replacing Loyola, one of the schools I threw out, and I brought this up on my Reaction Periscope with Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated, I brought it up on this show last week. This was just Saturday. No. Yes, Saturday. Friday. Today is Sunday. Friday. The holiday is screwing me up. Let me get to the tweet before I screw myself up even more. Friday afternoon, Wyatt Wheeler tweets. Source tells me that Illinois Chicago is now in the mix and has had discussions with the MVC. League also still exploring Murray State and Texas Arlington, with Missouri-Kansas City still sniffing around. League could be looking to get to 13 to 14 teams. This comes, I want to say, was this the same day that Mark Adams, he used to cover the Valley, now he covers the American Athletic Conference for ESPN. He tweeted out that morning. Uh, he was talking about Valley Hoops expansion. Uh, he said, UIC under Luke Yaklich makes a lot of sense. Chicago-based, large enrollment, diverse campus, investing in hoops. If the Valley expands by three, I see the Flames as a viable candidate with loss of Loyola. Stay tuned. Because remember, the Valley is now losing the Chicago market. And UIC was in the running to join the league when Loyola joined in 13. I want to say it came down to at least those two. And the Valley took a chance on Loyola. We see that worked out. So now with Loyola moving up, maybe UIC, which is on the up and up. I'm a big Luke Yaklich fan. If you've listened to the show over the last year, year and a half, you know I'm a big Luke Yaklich fan at UIC. He's also a local guy from like where I'm from. He went to LaSalle, Peru, which is, I want to say, what, an hour from my house? But I'm a big fan, and I think UIC would be a perfect fit. 
in the Missouri Valley, at least from a basketball standpoint, which is how the league has to look at it because, as we talked about last week, it is a, quote, basketball-centric league. I am out of time. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. That was a jam-packed show. We got to everything I wanted to talk about and more. Thank you to Daryl Horwitz and Jonah Blatt for chiming in. I apologize if you had any technical difficulties on the stream. The podcast will be posted in full without any issues, so please check that out. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask, get the vaccine when you can. I will talk to you next Sunday. Have an awesome week, everybody.